Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where fitting in with the normal kids isn't all it's cracked up to be. Book number 53, Second Chance. Will a normal life make Kristen Thompson happy? Hi, everybody. All this talk about normalcy. Normal, normal. Are we tired of it yet? Hi, everybody. I'm Marissa Flaxbart, your host. Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where we talk about Sweet Valley High novels and also just kind of the world and life and stuff. And I am joined once again by our old friend, Katie Ledoux. Hi, Katie. Hi. You can't, like, hear me giving a thumbs up, but I'm That's giving a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. As long as you describe that you're doing it, then it's the same diff, you know? I mean, you could not give a thumbs up and be like, I'm giving a thumbs up right now, everybody. And they wouldn't even know, gladiators, we could trick you. I'm not lying. I'm not a liar. She, she is not. I can actually see her this time. We read a book today called Second Chance, and Kristen Thompson is the main character. Uh, This is squarely within the realm of Parade of Randos, and if you didn't listen carefully to our episode about Book 52, you will never have heard of Kristen Thompson before. I mean, not only have I never heard of her, but seemingly no one else has. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So in Sweet Valley High... It's like she goes to the school, but she's so disconnected from the world of the students that at one point early on in the book, she says to Elizabeth, oh, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks, which gives us a clue. I guess it's been a couple weeks since the end of the last book. She also uh, has no clue. It says at one point in this book, we'll get there, but just as a little tease, that she never heard anybody say anything bad about Bruce Patman. (laughs) So she's like, oh, does he have a reputation? So Bruce Patman is going to play a role. Elizabeth Wakefield, of course, will play a role. But why don't we describe Kristen Thompson as depicted on the cover of the book? Um, she kind of looks like a Barbie doll, but with like a nice like twiggy pixie cut. Yeah, she's like an angry Barbie doll. (laughs) Doesn't she look angry? A little. She looks serious. I think that's like her determined, like, pro face, right? Because a big yep. uh, aspect of Kristen Thompson's character is that she is, like, never let them see you sweat. Like, she's really connected to the idea of, like, maintaining a strong exterior. So, obviously, she's in a tennis uniform. Yeah. She's got a little tennis whites, probably a skirt, a little cute, like, red lining on the collar. And I, th- she's, I think she looks a lot like Molly Ringwald. Maybe it's just the haircut. Yeah. A lot, a lot might be an overstatement. Yeah. She looks very serious. Definitely. Katie, usually when you are a guest on Sweet Valley Diaries, we are discussing something in the realm of Stephen Wakefield and Kara Walker. So how does it feel to uh, kind of branch out beyond those boundaries? I was very confused by how little anyone knew her. Kristen Um, Thompson. My roommate, um, Shay Zanotti, who has been a guest on the podcast. That's right. Um, also established that she was a childhood lover of Sweet Valley High. So very, very well versed. And she said, well, which, you know, which one are you reading? And I said, oh, it's about this girl. And she was like, I see Kristen time. She's like, oh, I think she's a rando. And I <laughs> said something about her, like, with Bruce Patman. And she was like, 
how does she not know his reputation? <laughs> and I was like, same. It's ridiculous. How would she not know? Great. And yet, and yet she doesn't. But at this point in the in the podcast, we are at a point where I don't know. Uh, what's going to happen exactly in these books. So I'm really relying on the descriptions on the back of the books. Like, I don't want to spoil them for myself too much. So I mean, I could go to Goodreads and I could read reviews, you know, I could or on Amazon, you know, there I could find out about the books if I wanted to. But I'm trying to limit myself a little bit because, you know, it's kind of fun to not know what's going to happen. And in this book, I actually was really surprised by the turns that it took. You know, when I read that it was going to be a book about a tennis player who really was thinking maybe she's missing out by not being part of the normal high school life, and that she was going to get interested in Bruce Patman, it was just like, okay, I can see exactly how this book is going to play out. You know, she's going to ruin her life over Bruce Patman and then have to redeem herself at the last minute. And that's, you know, that would not I don't think that's exactly what happened. <laughs> like, that's not really how I yeah. would describe it. Oh, and so I found myself getting kind of excited about some of the choices that she made. And, um, and also, I was surprised by how long it took Bruce Patman to even like enter the scene in this book. Because where we start with this book is with Enid and Elizabeth, and they are working on this big sister program. Enid has arranged for a bunch of the girls in the junior class, I guess, to be paired up with these like nine-year-old girls, nine, ten-year-old girls as big sisters. Well, I don't know how it is in yours, but so the Kindle edition gives me like a teaser page. So it has like Kristen's dad is like waiting for her in the living room and she comes in late and he says, I've been worried sick and you promised me you'd be back in an hour and then you show up three hours late and Kristen take a deep breath. We ended up going somewhere different and he says he's disappointed in her and that's just like one page little teaser. Sure. Yeah. These books always have a page at the beginning before they start that like comes from somewhere inside the book that I actually usually skip it because <laughs> it's like, I'm going to get to that page eventually. Well, okay. So also to preface this by like, I have an iPad. So I'm using the Kindle app, use it a bunch of times. I have an Apple pencil relatively new to the Apple mm -hmm. pencil life, if you will. <laughs> um, and when I use it before, it, it didn't have the like scribble. Oh, it's a relatively new does. feature that the Apple Pencil can do more stuff on your iPad. And I hadn't used it in a long time. And it was like, hey, try scribble. And, I, and I'm like, okay, I can scroll, whatever. I highlight in the Kindle, the stuff. And I was like, oh, you can add notes. And I was like, oh. So I've added a lot of chaotic notes. <laughs> Excellent. Bringing that chaotic it. note energy to mm -hmm. Sweet Valley Diaries uh, book 53. Because normally I just have like... Uh, sheet of paper that I write all my chaotic notes on, but this well, time I did it. In it's the ironic because usually I have a notes app, chaotic note, and I actually have a piece of paper that I decided to write on this time. So we've swapped roles. Uh, my first note was in the preview page where she said, we ended up going somewhere different than dot, dot, dot. And I wrote, Ooh, where did they go? Do people have sex in these books? Oh, a big question before the book even gets started. I didn't know. I think nobody really knows. It doesn't really get described. There's a lot of hinting at maybe things that are happening, but uh, 
It certainly doesn't happen in this book. I think we can rest assured. Okay. So it's almost as if the books are existing in a sort of ignorance about what making out actually leads to. And I and maybe that's by design, because if you are young enough that you're not really aware of that either, then your brain isn't going to go there. But if you're old enough that you do know, then then your brain does go there. So it's like all-purpose writing style. But what I mean is, wouldn't you agree that in this book, there's no sex? Like once you got to that oh, passage. yeah, of course not, no. And it, it's, it's actually, it's, it's kind of great. So we've got to work our way there, though. I know that's like one of the most exciting parts of the whole book is the way that the Kristen and Bruce um, relationship uh, ends up unfolding, such as it is. But at the start of the book, we've just got Enid and Elizabeth and the Big Sisters program that Enid has spearheaded. And Mr. Collins has make, made a return. Mr. Collins has not appeared in one of these books for a while, but he has really gone his best behavior. And we do not get a Collins watch, I'm afraid, in this book. But he is here. So like, we're, I, I am watching and noticing that he exists again, which I really appreciate. So I usually like to bring it back to my TV teen drama knowledge. Yeah. So this is my one contribution in this one that I would like to bring up. Um, so the whole thing is like one of the, the main crux of this one is this Sweet Valley High big sister, little sister program. Mm hmm. Um, in season three of Dawson's Creek, Pacey participated in a big brother, big sister program, but you know, his was like community service, but, but the little brother was played by Jonathan Lipnicki, which I think is, wow. You know, just like chef's kiss. Well, I'll have to hunt that down. And, uh, was that a multi-episode storyline? I, I was definitely watching the show Dawson's Creek during season three, but I don't remember that at all. So season three is like when Pacey slowly realizes that he's in love with Joey mm -hmm. and basically spends the entire season pining after her. Yes, this is ringing a bell. This dynamic, yeah. even though I do not remember Big Brother, Little Brother. And it sounds like that's that is the only connection that we have <laughs> to a second chance. Yeah, he ends up getting because there was a weird storyline in the beginning and they completely let go of that. Joey was a painter. Yeah. And then in, in season three, she gets the opportunity to paint a school mural. And then this bully ends up destroying her mural. And then he gets into a fight with the bully for destroying her mural. And then he gets like community service or like school community service and he has to do the Aww. big brother. Sounds like that would make a great Sweet Valley High novel. Anyway, basically at the start of the book, Elizabeth and Enid are talking through the plans that Enid's made, like which of these girls that the big sister little sister program has given um, her, she's like heading the program. And so like which of the girls have uh, big sisters that they're paired up with and who is still remaining and they find out that there's this little girl named Emily Brown, whose mother recently died in a car crash. And she is, I don't know, having a really hard time, but apparently really likes tennis. And they're like, oh, light bulb. We know somebody who's really good at tennis. Oh, but she's so busy. Elizabeth kind of says to Enid, like, there's really no harm in asking and seeing if she'd be interested in helping this girl. So here is the introduction of Kristen Thompson. Elizabeth barely knew Kristen. Very few people were close to Kristen because she was so dedicated to tennis that she didn't have time for anything or anyone else. 
but people who knew her were aware that Kristen was already a high-caliber tennis player who wanted to be on the pro circuit. Kristen's in my math class. I've talked to her a couple of times, you know, about assignments and stuff. She's probably a very nice person, but there's an aloof quality about her. She seems so bent on succeeding that she refuses to be friendly. I think if she had friends, it would mean too much time away from tennis. So that's our main character of the series' opinion on this new character, Kristen. Like, that's that's the vibe that she's giving off. I had, like, a couple highlighted things. Elizabeth says, um, I've seen her practicing out in the courts, and she's super determined. Jeffrey, remember when we invited her to the beach recently on that incredibly hot day? She was really nice, but she wouldn't come because she had a tennis lesson. Like, I was like, that is so much exposition. Like, yeah, that when, like, that hey, is the description. Remember- that's a description of a scene that happened at the end of book 52. So <laughs> they're like, like catching a, you up. In a conversation. Yeah. That is so weird to be like, remember hey. all of the events of that yes. one day. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah. Two weeks ago, we were both there and this happened and this happened. Yeah. Um, but now you're up to speed, even if you didn't read book 52. And I mean, there's more kind of exposition that only with the uh, power of retrospect that we know what's what's going on here. Um, we find out that uh, a little bit of foreshadowing that uh, Jessica and AJ have been arguing more lately, which is never shown to us in this book. Like we never see Jessica and AJ argue in book 53, but it tells us at the top that they're going to argue. Why does it do that? Because that's going to be important for the next book. Then a few pages later, this character we've never heard of before named Shelly Novak walks into the library, sees Kristen Thompson, and like relates to her about being into sports. And she's like, I really love to play basketball, but I don't want to go pro. You're really cool. You're Kristen Thompson. You're great in X, Y, and Z ways. So it was yeah. like simultaneously exposition dump about Kristen Thompson and how great she is at, at um, tennis. I almost said soccer. <laughs> um, we've had some soccer books recently. Uh, but then it's also a plant for Shelley Novak, who in two books from now is going to be the rando in question. So lots of seeds being planted. Does Shelley Novak come back in this book? She does not. <laughs> I actually think it's kind of a perfect example of how, like the way, the very unique way in which these books are serialized. You know, there's rarely a cliffhanger, but they're just sort of like overlapping themes, overlapping moments, you know, where you get a little drop in one book that's a tease for the next one. So they have the the scene where she's in the library and Shelly Novak comes to find her and talk to her, you just talked about. Mm-hmm. And it said, um, Kristen always ate lunch quickly and then hurried to the library to do her work. If she spent a lunch hour socializing, it would mean she lost an hour of practice after school which I highlighted. And I was like, "Mm, that's terrible. And that sounds like it sucks. (laughs) I'm so glad you read that passage, Katie, because when I read it, I was just like, oh, like there was this like gut wrenching feeling of like a little bit of recognition, but also like, oh, that's so bad already. Like she's already on that like grind that I feel like in the 21st century is so familiar to probably adults and teenagers alike of like, I got to keep going, got to keep going. Can't stop for a second. If I, if I don't multitask, which I mean, the fight against the myth of multitasking is something that I live with in my life every day. <laughs> like you can't really do two things at once. So yeah. 
You know, she's scarfing down her food and trying to write a paper about the American dream. And she's not what she is. She successful in writing the paper? No, probably because it's lunchtime and she should be focused on eating lunch. But (laughs) I mean, it definitely reminded me like a, a bit of being in high school. Like I definitely wouldn't have left lunch to go do my homework. Yeah. Um, but I was a theater kid. Um, my school did two plays a year. I either was in or worked on every single one of them all four years. Wow. It was a lot of hours. It was like every night it was normally about like six to nine when it got closer, it was even longer hours and it was, you know, weekends as well and stuff, whatever. But, like, on weekdays, if I had homework, I had to make sure, like, as soon as school was over, I would be like, I have to get my homework done because I'm not going to have any time to do it later. Um, yeah. So I relate to that. Well, it's, it's funny. I would say that I had a very similar feeling reading this in that I was like, oh, man, yeah, in high school, I was so busy. I was always juggling various after-school after activities, whether it was show choir or speech and debate or theater or I don't know orchestra or some other kind of thing that was going on in my life and schoolwork I mean I guess the reason I even bring it up is that I was thinking like wow even as busy as I was even like I had a couple times I pulled my first all-nighter in middle school like even as hard as I was working I still didn't do my homework during lunch like I didn't like that was an actually fairly important social time like this is like the 50 minutes or whatever that you get to like catch up with your friends during the school day anyway the I I related to that one of the reasons that Kristen is so busy in this book is that she is I mean she's always got like every day after school at 3 30 she's got this um, tennis practice. And we know it's at 3.30 because at one point during the book, her um, tennis coach, Dory, is going to be an hour late. And Kristen is like excited at the idea of having an hour to herself, but immediately is like, now I don't know what to do with myself. And that also was just like, like upsettingly familiar. <laughs> the, like, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm not really like that, but I have had that feeling of like a free day where you're like so looking forward to it. And then it comes and it's just like, uh, what am yeah. I doing? Yeah. Um, but she is specifically getting ready for something called the Avery cup. So I, I'll just explain it real quick. Cause it is important to the plot that there are a bunch of qualifying matches for this thing called the Avery cup. And the Avery cup is like your chance to go from being like, pro-am or like amateur to being a pro there's this guy named nick wiley who i guess has a team of young tennis players that he takes on these matches all around and you have to do well enough in the tournament you have to win the tournament basically to get your slot in this team nick wiley's team so that's what she's working toward and um that's what's on her mind when elizabeth wakefield walks up to her and is like hey look i know you're so busy but let me tell you real quick about this little sister thing, because there is this girl who would be perfect for you. She tells her about Emily Brown. She tells her about how her mom died and how um, she loves tennis. It's the only thing that matters to her. And then Elizabeth walks away. And then we get this. She's riding her bike home after this conversation. Okay. The road swam before her in a blur of colors, and a car slammed on its horn as she rode too close to traffic. She had to breathe deeply to get back her control. 
She wished Elizabeth Wakefield hadn't told her about Emily Brown. No one at school was close enough to Kristen to know that her own mother had been killed in a plane crash when she was only seven. Kristen blinked furiously, trying as hard as she could to shut out the memory of that horrible day, nine years ago now, when she had come home and found her father and Dory sitting in the living room, staring blankly at each other. I can't tell her, her father had said, tears running down his face. Tell me what, Kristen had cried. It was as though part of her life had ended then, the part that had been filled with love, laughter, and happiness. After that, there was only one thing that mattered, winning tennis matches. This is where one of my other chaotic notes was, which just said, highlighted, after that, there were only one thing that mattered, like winning tennis matches, because her love, laughter, and happiness (laughs) was over. And I just wrote, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Like... What? Yeah. Well, and it's so even bad. more it's even more complicated, right? Because it turns out that her mom was on a plane to Wimbledon. Like she was going to play in Wimbledon. I thought and she won Wimbledon. No, she was on her way there. Like she didn't get because a chance she to says play. At one point something about a photo of her mom holding the trophy. Oh, well, no, she was like a a trophy winning tennis player. But I thought she's I was under the impression that she won. I think it's an important aspect of the story that she never got the chance to to win that. Like that was her dream and she never got that chance mm-hmm. because that's the thing that sort of haunts Kristen is that her mother was such a great player and now it's like she's carrying the torch on even though nobody really asked her to do that. Um, And her dad owns a bunch of tennis clubs. Like, their lives are very enmeshed in tennis. Dory, who is her coach, was also, like, her mom's best friend. So it's all very, it's all very enmeshed. And she's really serious. But she is starting to feel a little bit like the pressure is so high and she's losing some of the joy in it. And just, she's 16, right? She's starting to think, like, well, what if there was anything else in my life other than tennis like what if i had friends maybe boys that kind of thing so she's riding to her tennis practice on her bike she's like crying and like fighting back tears and she gets to the tennis practice and her game is off like she's kind of having a hard game um and dory is like asking her like "Is, is anything wrong like what's up and she thinks to herself Kristen had made it a rule never to show her father or Dory when she was feeling vulnerable and weak. Kristen tried hard to act like a pro on the court and off. That meant being tough, disciplined, as Dory said. A pro doesn't break down and cry just because she gets lonesome sometimes, Kristen reminded herself sternly. She steeled herself and said, let's keep going. I'm not leaving the court till I get my serve back. I highlighted the last sentence on that page was, it was almost as if the lonely little girl had never grown up at all again. Jesus Christ, that's dark. (laughs) Yeah, and I was just like, oh, but Kristen, you're only 16. Like, you don't have to be an adult yet. It's okay. I really, my heart broke for this girl. Um, Yeah, they're just like, I can't, I can't be ever show weakness or this is her family, basically. Right. Well, and you can see how, I don't know, the very next chapter, Neil Thompson, her dad gets introduced. And Neil and Dory are very much like Kristen, you know, you've got to work hard if you want to win. Like, you've got this, like, you got to get your sleep, you got to eat well. But 
I felt like it was pretty clear to me that they were really just like being supportive of her goals. Like they seemed fairly reasonable. He even like, it's funny because like he would be on her, like her, like her dad was often like on her about like, oh, like you have practice, like you have to do this, you have to do that. But at the same time, when she was like being over the, the top, he was like, no, like even like in this one where she, he says like, what do you want for dinner? And she's like, I'm just going to have a grilled chicken salad, mm-hmm. no dressing. You're going to eat a dry salad. This has been a, this has been a conversation lately. We've been talking about food and diet, both on the podcast and I've had some conversations with listeners outside like on social media on instagram about some of the weird food stuff but but you're what you're talking about is a perfect example of like okay this is a reasonable guy in this book while Kristen is trying to not gain any weight before her match and she's choosing to eat this chicken and the dry salad the dad says is that going to be enough food for you you know you if you're worried about you you could eat vegetables like that you know you could add that would give you more energy they don't have to be fattening you know he's like he's like trying to be pay attention to her energy levels, but also being like not trying to be a food pusher. You know, he's. I feel yeah, like he 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 often comments like throughout the book, like, is she eating enough? Is she eating? Is she sleeping or enough? Is she sleeping enough? Mm-hmm. That's she, a big you know, thing. Um, is she not feeling well? Like all that stuff. Yeah, he seems he seems tuned into that. Now that being said, I don't want to suggest. But in by any means that the book is not portraying a, an accurate version of what a teenager like Kristen would be like. Like, I think that Kristen's reaction, like one of the things that she thinks is that when her dad tells her, don't forget to get to bed or like, make sure you get home on time. She really pisses her off because she's like, doesn't he realize that I know that like, this is important to me too. Like, I don't need him to also put this pressure on me. That was very relatable too. And that is like a realistic teen or even adult, uh, you know, uh, as an adult with your parents, like, I don't think this is something that gets better. You know, <laughs> when you're an adult and your parents tell you how to live your life and in ways that, like, obviously, <laughs> it's hard not to feel. Oh, alike. yeah. I feel like I say that. Uh, yeah. Like, every once in a while, at the end of the month, my mom will be like, did you put the rent check in the mail? And I'm like. That kind of thing, exactly. I'm a 31-year-old yeah. woman. No, as as listeners yeah. know very well, I have a wonderful relationship with my dad, but he'll still, like, if he'll say something to me on the phone, like, oh, you're going so-and-so, like, do you know where you're going to park? And it's just like, I know you're just trying to help, but, like, I'm 38 years old. I can figure out where to park my car. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, don't tell me how to prepare for something. That's really it. That yeah. I take care of myself, like, every yeah. day. And But it's like, you can't really interrogate that very much before you get to, like, oh, they're just far away and, like, have no way to, to help. So, like, of course they're going to make these suggestions. But anyway, yeah. Kristen, that, that's the pressure. that and, and, and poor Kristen is really, like, feeling that her... Like, if she doesn't win the Avery Cup, like, if she doesn't win her matches, how disappointed are Dory and especially her father going to be? Like, do they even really, like, love her enough to 
love her beyond her skill as a tennis player. This is a literal yeah. thought that that she has repeatedly throughout this book. And it's understandable that she gets there because she is such a winner. Her life has been so all about tennis that she's never really gotten an opportunity to see that that's not where the love is coming from, from those people. It's not conditional at all. It's just that they've only, <laughs> she's only been this tennis winner who cares all about tennis. So of course that's what they're focused on. And she says like, he, you know, he starts asking her a few, obviously I don't think she feels like incredibly pressured by him because like two pages later, when he does start asking her, she's like, oh, my God, I don't need this from you. Like, I put enough pressure on myself. I don't need pressure coming from you. So to me, that that tells me, like, if she's just constantly living under his, like, pressure and scrutiny, this would just be, like, par for the course. But yeah. she seems to her like, oh, my God, I do not need this from you right now. Like, yeah, yeah. And I think she's starting, she's just experiencing an interchange and Dory and the dad are unaware of the interchange. And because she's not vulnerable with them, they have no way of knowing about it. So they think everything is just status quo. Like you're, you're so close to the Savory Cup. You're so close to your goal. And they don't understand that them acting the way they've always acted is now affecting her in this totally new way. It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting character dynamic. Um, I like this book, so <laughs> I support it. I It was something that I was interested in because this is another thing where an easy thing for a, a soap opera to do would be to have the dad be really unreasonable. And when uh, what's about to happen is that a boy is entering her life, the dad could be like, no way, you know, and, and, sh and then Kristen's reaction would be to rebel. And what happens is a much more reasonable, softer version of that. So let's get into that, shall we? Kristen, when she has this hour to kill before practice, she goes and sees that a bunch of girls who she knows by sight, but nothing more, uh, Amy Sutton, Carol Walker, your old friend, um, Jessica, they're all watching Bruce Patman and some dude named Adam Tyner play tennis. And so Kristen comes over and watches, and, and then Bruce comes and like real slickly like walks up to her and says so champ he said in a teasing voice how'd i do Kristen looked at him seriously not bad she said but you'd do better if you kept your arm completely straight on your backhand also you're taking two steps when you serve instead of one she frowned and always keep your eye on the ball bruce was silent for a minute he rolled back and forth on his feet looking at her thanks he said shortly then turned back to adam Christian saw that he had paid attention to what she said. His next game was 10 times better. He won by a satisfying margin. So, you know, he sees a little bit like, all right, whatever. But then he does what she says. It goes way better. But then Kristen plays a game with him. Like she gets coaxed into playing a match with him. And there's this, you know, at first you think like, oh, well, she's going to cream him because he's, he's not that good. But then she, I mean, I, I had to go back and reread this because es essentially what happens, correct me if I'm wrong, is she throws the game because she starts thinking about how it would make him feel bad to lose to a girl. Yeah, I also highlighted it. I thought it was weird that she said she had never played with anyone from school before. Like, yeah, that is she weird. Never played for her own school. She had I... only ever played like in like kind of public community leagues. For, like, that seems weird. 
Yeah, there's a lot of logistical things that are weird in this book, as much as the plot is great. Like, there's a scene later on in the book when Jessica and Elizabeth, because Jessica has been talked into getting a, a little sister too, they're having a competition to see who can cook, who can bake the most cookies that taste the best. And it says that uh, Jessica and her girl cooked five dozen cookies, and Elizabeth and her girl only cooked three dozen, but they tasted way better. But I was thinking about this house, and I was like, how many ovens are there in this kitchen? Because you can't, I mean, maybe there are two. That is that is heard of. But there have to be at least two, because otherwise there's no way that you could have a timed competition for people that are baking at the same time, and one of them has five dozen and the other has three dozen. My logistical sticking point of this entire book was this girl's mother was a famous tennis player that won the U.S. Open. It says that. Yes. And was qualifying. Maybe that's the trophy she was carrying. Was qualifying for Wimbledon, was on the way. I went back and read that. You're right. She was on the way and was killed tragically in a plane crash. And yet no and yet one nobody Yes, you're so right. I didn't catch that. You're totally right. That w- I mean, I did think when I read about how she was on her way to Wimbledon when the plane crashed, like, oh my gosh, that would have been national news. International, I should say. Like that would have been like when you were in school, if something like crazy happened to one of your classmates, like everyone knew it yeah well and even if it wasn't your classmate i feel like we have had many celebrity plane crash deaths in our lives and i bet like we remember that they happened you know even if the person had no connection to if some famous especially if they had a connection yeah absolutely all right well so the cracks are starting to show (laughs) in the book's logic but still the character study aspect we're enjoying we're enjoying so Kristen basically lets lets Bruce win, but she's having like stirrings that she's never had before. Like she never thought about how it would make a boy feel to lose. You roll your eyes at her, but it's okay because she's gonna she's gonna have her day. But Bruce mm-hmm. is Bruce is kind of into her, and he even like compliments her on like, "Wow, you gave me such good tips that you know I really played great." And he asks her out, and she's like, "I'm way too busy," but he he's you know he's he he says. Put, I won't take no for an answer. Wrote that down, too, at a certain point, literally verbatim. I won't take no for an answer. It's always what you want to see. <laughs> so, but Kristen, like, doesn't know. She doesn't even know that Bruce has a bad reputation, let alone that uh, that's not, <laughs> that's, like, not a great thing for Which, again, to say. how does she not know that? It's it's confusing and it's definitely that, mysterious. Like insanely disconnected. Yeah, but it, but it's I I enjoyed like I was expecting Bruce to really wrap her around his finger to use a phrase that these books like and instead what happens is that Kristen is pretty firm she goes out with him to see a movie or something but then she's like I can't stay out any later like I have to go home I have to go to sleep because I have to be up at nine o'clock tomorrow for practice and then on that then that very night he calls like he keeps on calling the house and she's she puts her foot down you know she's not gonna like cave to his pressure to like not care so much about tennis right yeah i think they go on a few dates yeah and well, it goes well that and- teaser thing that you're talking about where she they, they that's where he was gonna take her to casey's to have a scoop of ice cream and she's like well i guess i can go but then when he picks her up he's like no I, casey's is 
dumb. Like, let's go. There's a way better place we can go. And she's like, well, okay, but I only have an hour. I can't stay out late. And then then he take. but it's like he's already starting up his Porsche and driving away. And so it's like she's essentially kidnapped <laughs> for the evening by this guy. And when she gets home three hours later, her dad is furious. That's the scene that's in the teaser because she yeah. literally told her dad she'd be back in an hour. But this is where it's like she wanted to be back in an hour, too. She didn't want to be gone for three hours, but it was out of her control. Do you remember that? Like having to get rides from people all the time as a kid and like having it be sort of out of your control sometimes when you got home? Yes, sort of. So Bruce starts calling the house. He um he leaves a bunch of numbers, right? He leaves this is before the date that we just talked about, but there's just a funny little anecdote about him leaving a bunch of numbers and the dad is confused and he's like, if I'm not mistaken, one of these numbers is for a car phone. <laughs> And so she calls Bruce on his car phone and she's just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy has a car phone. Like, what's his deal? (laughs) So that was fun. Uh, Fun little glimpse into the past. Uh, Your dad had a car phone? uh, Yeah, I don't think we ever had one. But um, at this, whenever this book was written, which is probably like 89, it was, yeah, March of 89. It was uh, like, whoa. You must be fancy, or at least that's what the writers are getting across. Um, so, you know, we have more conversations about this growing pressure. Dory gives some interesting advice to Kristen. She, I mean, it's like she says things like when Kristen is complaining about all the pressure that she's she's under. Dory says, you have to remember that the will to win is yours and yours alone. Neither your father nor I can give you that. If you feel we've been pressuring you. She let her voice trail off, so it sounded almost like a question. And Kristen is basically like, I don't know, they, they come to an agreement that maybe what Kristen needs is a little bit less pressure. And she's like, oh, well, it's a good thing you say that. I'm happy to hear that because I decided that I want to go to this party. Bruce has invited her to a party, his parents' big party at the country club, which is something that is that's like the big party of this book, I guess. And um, she isn't sure if she wants to go because she doesn't feel like after the ice cream thing, like Bruce doesn't really appreciate how serious she is. Like she has an interesting thought, like if he is the right guy for her, like he'll get how much she cares about tennis. And like, you know, like she has this very sane thought. And uh, but she decides that she wants to go to this party And uh, like the dad clearly does not like this idea because he's a little bit nervous that she's like throwing away her tennis career because of this guy, Bruce, who he's never met. But Dory says, you know, I think Kristen is right about something. We've both been doing a lot of pushing for a long time now. Kristen's 16. If she makes the pro team, she'll be doing a lot of international traveling. She'll have some tough decisions to make and we won't be there to help her. If we seem like we've been over-involved, it's because we both love you so much, Kristen. We want what you want, or what we thought you wanted. In any case, I think it's important that you learn to make these choices on your own. If the party matters, fine. You're an athlete. You know your own limits and your own potential. The bottom line is, there's nothing anyone can do out there to make you win but you. So it's all just a lot of, like, 
a lot of these like very like wise platitudes in this book or platitudes might be cut selling it a little short but there's a lot of that kind of talk in the book i also noted like it, it literally says like dory looked at her in complete astonishment before she could say a word kristen broke into a run towards the clubhouse all she wanted was to be alone Next sentence. Wow, Kim Eggers explained as she saw the Wakefield Spanish tiled kitchen. No transition. <laughs> nope. nope. I'm like, this is like doesn't care. No yeah. transition yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. So I think what's just happened there in the scene you're describing is that like throughout the like last half of this book, or like the middle section, I guess. Kristen is having these various competitions and she's winning the competitions, but it's proving very difficult for her. She knows mm. that she's really having a hard time when in fact it should be really easy for her. And sometimes that's because she's not getting much sleep because even though she gets home on time from her date, she's lying awake for hours, like thinking about it or she, she overslept, you know, one day when she's supposed to come to rehearsal. And yeah. so um, rehearsal. I mean, <laughs> I mean, practice, tennis practice. So mm. that's kind of what's going on in her life. Um, we haven't said anything about Emily Brown, who is, you know, Kristen has agreed to take her on as a little sister, basically because she thinks that she can bring Emily with her to watch her matches, but she does, and Emily loves it. And yeah. that kind of seeing how much Emily loves it is, I don't know, it's transforming Kristen in some way. I think I thought that she would be a much bigger character than she is. They kind of set her up like this will kind of be a big sticking point of the book, and it's going to end up being that big. Like It doesn't create a problem. It, it, like, Emily doesn't create any problems for Kristen. Only well, I just mean, she, you don't even spend that much time with her. That's true. And she just kind of serves... A function of like showing her like oh god like remember back when I just loved this and I feel yeah. like that's just the whole point is she kind of like reminds her of that yeah of that's like, that's her point initially and then yeah. she ends up having a little bit more of a linchpin kind of purpose mm -hmm. later in the book but we'll get that we'll get to that shortly because I want to talk about this country club party so we've already had a scene where, like, Jessica Wakefield keeps on taking her little sister, like, to the mall and stuff. So she's talking about how, like, oh, I need to go to the mall to find a formal dress because it's like a formal party. And Amy yeah. Sutton's going to wear a sexy dress. And Amy Sutton hasn't heard that Bruce Patman invited Kristen Thompson to this. But when Kristen shows up, like, she hasn't gotten the memo that it's formal. So she's wearing, like, a sundress. So she instantly feels out of place. She sees Bruce, who partly coaxed her there by saying that he wanted to introduce her to his parents. But as soon as he says that he's going to do that, then Amy comes up and puts her arm in Bruce's and like Bruce basically like forgets about Kristen. Kristen is instantly turned off by this. So she yep. drifts over to the bar where she runs into Winston Egbert. And I have to read what Winston says about Bruce because it's just like the best thing anybody's ever said about Bruce. Come here often? Winston Egbert asked teasingly, joining her in line for soft drinks. Kristen turned to him with a grateful smile. She knew him from class and had always enjoyed his wisecracks. To tell you the truth, no, she said. Is there something I should know about how to behave? Just don't take lessons from our hosts, Winston said wryly. See that? He inclined his head toward the place where Bruce was standing, with Amy snuggled beside him. 
that's what happens when too much money, good looks, and ego all hit in the same place. Kristen blushed. She had never heard anyone talk about Bruce before. Did he have a bad reputation? I highlighted that. (laughs) She didn't have a chance to ask Winston more about his remark, because Bruce was coming toward them. With Amy in tow, Kristen hoped Bruce was coming over to talk to her, but she turned out to be wrong. Bruce stopped to say hello to every single girl in the drink line. He flirted outrageously, asked several girls to dance, and passed Kristen by with a smile no different from the smile he had given everyone else. So she's like, okay, this is not this guy. Like, not only she's not like heartbroken. She's just like, I see this guy sucks. (laughs) Like, and she's mad at herself for like she for like taking the evening out when she could she could be like resting up for her, like psyching herself up for her big match, like the last tournament win that she needs is the next morning and she's like why did i do this like oh well well it's just it's kind of ridiculous it's like he's been dating her i mean he invites her out of his way to invite her says he's wants to introduce her to his parents and really he really makes it like you have like it would be so important if you were there you know it won't be the same without you and like and then barely speaks to her once she's there it seems like was he deliberately trying to mess with her i don't think he was but i do think that there's some kind of like the like playing hard to get not that she was playing hard to get but that he is somehow entranced or intrigued by her uh unwillingness to just fall head over heels for him you know she's like setting boundaries and he's like i feel like that's baiting him a little bit not on purpose but that's how he's responding to but it but i was i feel like like and i get that the other girl was like easier kind <laughs> sure. of so he yeah, was Katie's doing air quotes gladiators he was he was happier to go with her but like to me it should have been like he sees her like Kristen at the party first before this other girl yeah Amy. like he would have like immediately gone to talk to her and then kind of got distracted by the other girl and you're like okay i get it but this is almost like he doesn't he like barely even acknowledges her at all yeah and i'm like what are you like yeah it's fucked up and she is and her her feeling about this is like boy i sure was dumb like am i sorry that i went to the party at all and part of her is like maybe i'm not sorry that i went because now at least i don't have like i know what i'm missing and it's not much and i don't care but unfortunately it is it does you know screw her up because she plays she has a really hard match at the tournament the next day against sharon owens and she loses Yep. She loses it's a hard. Qualifying and, match. And and Nick Wiley is like, oh man, I guess you can be all, our alternate, but uh, that's that's really rough. And and she is just like in tears. She can barely face her father and Dory. Like they're not gonna love her anymore. And Emily, she's gonna Emily's gonna be so disappointed that she lost, you know, she's just feels that she's let everybody down. Mm-hmm. Um but that thankfully kind of forces a reckoning. Um, in part because uh, Emily, like, has a, a couple days later, Emily tells her that she has something to tell her, but she's afraid that if she tells her, then um, Kristen won't want to be her friend anymore. And mm-hmm. remember, this is a little girl talking to, like, a nine-year-old talking to a 16-year-old. 
And what Emily reveals is that she had been trying out to get into a tennis camp and she wasn't accepted because she wasn't good enough. And Emily and Emily is shocked when Kristen is like, you know, oh, I don't want to like, I don't love you any less. I mean, it's a little grandiose her terms, but like, I don't care about you any less, you know, just because of that. Like, I I didn't like you because you like tennis, you know, but if you want to, we can work hard for next time. And she realizes that's exactly what her dad and Dory have been telling her, that they were supporting her tennis dreams, because she said that she wanted it, not because they needed her to be great and they even and she kind of just spills everything out to her father and her tennis coach that's also like basically her aunt in a way she was like her mom's best friend and now has become her dad's best friend and is over at the house for dinner every night and she just kind of spills everything and how she feels like she's not as good as her mother and she can't stand up to the legacy of her mother and her tennis coach, her mom's best friend, was like, child, <laughs> yeah. here's the thing. Your mom was going to quit. Yeah. Wimbledon like was going to be her last match. Yeah. She, didn't, she wanted to live a normal life, too. You know, yeah. she would be so proud of you, but, like, she wouldn't be proud of you for being a good tennis player. Like, she would be proud of that, but, like, she would be, she would love you so much regardless of what you did. Like, you don't have to, I mean, the line is, She wanted a normal life. She wanted to have time to watch her daughter grow up. Dory blinked back tears. She never ended up getting the chance, but I know if she were alive today, she'd take you in her arms and say that being a winner in life doesn't depend on one match or even a dozen matches. And you are a winner, Kristen Thompson. Do you hear me? And then she cries and says she misses her. And yeah. And and also, like, earlier on, she says, like, they never talk about her mom. And I'm like, that's so fucking sad. Yeah. And the dad at one point says, like, he says something like, oh, I forget myself. You know, I'm sorry. I I shouldn't be so hard on you. And then he leaves and Kristen says to Dory, he means he forgets I'm not my mom. Yeah. Yeah. That's all so sad. But um, then once this... Once this uh, catharsis happens, lo and behold, magical phone call. Poor Sharon Owens has sprained her ankle. And Nick Wiley has called to say that he needs Kristen to be... um, to, to, he needs Kristen to come in and, and like play matches now. Like she's the alternate, like she's getting called up and she's like, okay, well, would this just be for a short time? And he's like, listen, I was really surprised that you didn't win this. So if you are playing well, then I think there's no reason why you can't, you know, stay as our permanent alternate kind of. And then when a spot opens up, you can take that spot. And it's Kristen has already like in a different book, maybe the, the main character would have realized that she didn't care about sports anymore. But that's not what happened. Like, by the time we get to that point in this book, Kristen has already decided that she actually does want to recommit to trying to get onto Nick Wiley's team again next year. Like, she's going to try even harder. And she's going to do it for herself. She's not going to do it for her dad. She's not going to do it for Dory. She's going to do it because it's what she wants. So it's easy for her to say, yes, I do want to do that. But she's also already said, yes, I want to take Emily to the ice cream party. Like, she, yeah. she's going to try to find a way to find some balance in her life. And everyone's so happy for her. And and she kicks ass at, at the tournament that she has to play, like, the next day or, like, two mm-hmm. days from, from then. And she's a professional tennis player by the end of the book. 
and she can't believe she ever wasted a moment on Bruce Patman and, yeah. and imagining a different life for herself. Well. Which is a little... <laughs> It's not the ending that you expect this book to have, right? Like you don't you don't expect the lesson to be like, yeah, it's actually not important that you have a normal teen life. Part but, of my takeaway was like, then did the entire book waste our time? <laughs> the one thing that I think it like really does change that you know Kristen changes is that she does now have a connection and a relationship to some people at school. Like, people know who she is and care about her and vice versa. It's not just her and Tennis and Dory and her dad, which really had been, like, her whole world when the book started. She has some new friends. She's she's thinking about maybe a boyfriend. And I have got, I have got to read the most delicious passage in the whole book. I'm jumping back a little bit because this is before Nick Wiley calls and she becomes a pro and everything. But it's when she's she's left the country club party without saying goodbye to anybody, Bruce included. When Kristen shows up to school, she tried to walk past without stopping to say hello. But Bruce stepped in front of her, making little tisk tisk motions with his finger. Now, wait a minute, he scolded her with a knowing little smile. Just where do you think you're going? Aren't you even going to explain where you ran off to on Saturday night? I felt like a total jerk. I was just about to dance with you when Kristen looked coldly at him. That's a weird sentence. Kristen looked coldly at him. Listen, I've got a lot of stuff to do, she said, trying hard to keep her self-control. She couldn't believe she had ever found Bruce Patman interesting. Now that she knew him a little better, she could tell how incredibly arrogant he was. The cocksure way he was grinning at her right now made her angry. Boy, she thought, I really lost my head for a while there. I sure hope next time, if there is a next time, I show a little bit better taste. She started to push past Bruce, but he put a restraining hand on her arm. You're not going to walk off without an explanation, are you? He demanded hotly. Look, Bruce, Kristen said, pulling her arm away from his touch. I don't owe you anything, least of all an explanation. In case you don't remember, you didn't pay one bit of attention to me the whole evening, and I happened to have had a match, a very important match, the following morning. If you worried about anyone, even half as much as you worry about yourself, you would have remembered that. Without another word, she stomped off into the building, leaving Bruce staring after her with his mouth hanging open. And I wrote in my notes, my fucking hero. <laughs> she like she has a very low bullshit tolerance. Yeah. Like when she was even when she's at the party and she's like, all right, I know what's going on. Like she doesn't stay forever. Like I think they said by 930, she was out the flipping door. Like she was like, nah, I'm not gonna yeah. wait around for this. And she leaves. And like, and then when he tries to butter her up the next day, she's like, nah, I'm not here for this. And it's not even like, she doesn't even really wallow over him. She's more like, I, I can't believe I even like wasted any time with you yeah. at all. And the, I'm definitely not going to expend any more emotional energy yeah, this, on this. This like, passage continued done. that, you know, she felt good telling Bruce, you know, what she thought. And it seemed like maybe... A girl had never done that to Bruce before, but it goes on. She felt even better knowing that what had seemed like conflict between her rigorously disciplined tennis life and her sudden desire to lead a normal life hadn't really been a conflict at all. She had been flattered by Bruce's attention, but the truth was she hated everything Bruce stood for. 
So, like, all right, that's clear enough. I mean, that does get back to your point of like, well, so what was the point of this book then, if there was no conflict at all? But it's the it was the process of her having that realization and like, you know, understanding that it she could be doing something for herself and not for her father, not for her, you know, pseudo aunt, soon to be potentially stepmother. (laughs) As we find out. I I immediately was like, Oh, they're together. Like, or they're going to end up together by the end of the book. I was not, I didn't, was, did not see that coming. I I don't know what that says about me, but Um, she's really happy about it. Cause you know, Dory is a big part of her life. Yeah. And then uh, she wins the, because we already went back. That she, she creams the, the girl that she wins. that in the tournament. She's she's on her on her way really to becoming. And then everyone ever. at school's celebrating her win. Yeah, and, and she's finished like, her American Dream paper. Mm-hmm. And then Bru- everyone's mad, and he everyone's happy for her, and Bruce is mad and miffed that everyone's congratulating her, and he says she doesn't have the spirit of a real champ. <laughs> I thought he said that before she wins her game, but regardless, and then and then he like wants to talk to her again after she won. And yeah, I think it's like right before the Avery tell her way to yeah. So yeah. he has no faith in her because she doesn't have the spirit of a champ. Uh, probably doesn't help that he thinks he can beat her at tennis because she let him win that one time. This is why you don't do that. <laughs> but then as soon as she does win, he's like. He wants to be all up in her grill again, and she's not having it. Because, like he said, low bullshit tolerance, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, things wrap up with just a little foreshadowing. Um, Mr. Collins returns. Again, I was looking closely for some kind of untoward sentences here, but all he does is he he talks about how there's going to be a writing contest coming up, and the winner of the writing contest gets to be the king or queen of the Citizens Day Ball. And the subject of the essay contest, did you clock this, Katie? It is Sweet Valley in the year 2000. Yeah, I saw that. Looking forward to more about that. Yep. We can talk more about Second Chance in the extra drama episode, but for now, I guess we can reveal why the book was called Second Chance. I think it's because Kristen got a second chance <laughs> to be on Nick Wiley's professional soccer team. I mean, dun, damn dun, it, dun, I said dun. it again. Tennis, professional tennis team. And her father got a second chance at love. Oh, yeah, Neil. Good for you, Neil. At this point, I've asked you so many times whether you're a Jessica or an Elizabeth. I can't imagine that your answer would have changed based on the events of this book. I think every time I say I'm like, I, I'll, I'll relate to Enid more than... Yeah. Enid, Enid is good in this book. She's a very good girl. She does a lot of good things. She's, she's a, real, a real good citizen. She should be the queen of the Citizens Day Mall. <laughs> but yeah. but um, I don't know wh- how good of a writer she is, so... That's it's kind of weird that that designation is based on an essay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Gladiators, thank you so much for listening to us talk about Second Chance. Do you have anything you want to plug? I mean, if you haven't already, I guess my only thing to plug would be to watch Eric Andre's movie Bad Trip on Netflix that I devoted two years of my life working on. So that's my only thing. It's so go. good. 
Definitely, <laughs> definitely. If you have access to Netflix or if access to Bad Trip on Netflix, do watch it, and you won't be disappointed. Um, you can find out about what's going on in Sweet Valley Diaries world by following at Sweet Valley on Twitter, or better yet, at Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram. Um, you can send me an email, sweetvalleydiaries at me.com. I guess I'll go ahead and put in another plug for my newsletter, Metaphoria, which is not about Sweet Valley High. But after uh, the last episode aired, I know a couple of you did uh, subscribe to the newsletter. So thank you for that. It comes out every week. And you can find out... Um, you can read it or subscribe to it by visiting flaxbart.substack.com. But like a lot of newsletters, you know, when you subscribe, it just comes right into your email inbox. Tune in next week for some more talk about Second Chance. Um, and until then, I hope everybody's having a great summer. So it's summer now. Yeah, it's here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Second Chance. What do you think about that? Um, about that being the name of the book? <laughs> no, I literally just mean, let's talk about what happens in this book. <laughs> Instead of, just, just take like, a little, d- little detour from talking I mean, about... They picked it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think the name the name is, is pretty straightforward. Uh, but I, if I explain what it means right now, it'll be a super spoiler. So I have to hang on until the end.